producers, but we also have special guests, uh, Jason Garbus from AppGate. Uh, so Jason is actually someone who both Lilac and I have separately worked with in the past in one of those uh, interesting coincidences. This is a very, very small industry at times. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. We wanted to follow on from our conversation about careers a couple of weeks ago and talk about uh, the non straightforwardly IT parts of the IT industry around product marketing and product management and how people get confused between those two, uh, probably because they share the same acronym. But Lilac, why don't you lead us off? Gosh, yes. And I think maybe we start with some definitions for everyone. But um, I, I think one of the motivations for this conversation is that, you know, I have a background in product marketing, I got out of it. Um, Jason has gone between product marketing and product management and all, leading all of marketing at various points in his career. Zach has been on the analyst side, now is in a product marketing role. And then Dominic has come from sales engineering into product marketing and competitive intelligence. And I think I get a lot of questions about, well, what, is this, what do these jobs even mean? What is even the distinctions between them? Which one would I choose and how would I get into that? You know, funny story. My, my son got in trouble in school. He wasn't able to finish a project because it involved explaining what his parents did and he couldn't for either of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't blame the kids. Is that, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> There's no good explanations, but maybe we'll try. Um, Jason, I, I don't know whether it would help if you just sort of kick us off and tell us a little bit about how you found yourself where you are. You know, I have the, I guess, the good fortune and not necessarily by design and not necessarily by accident, but I spent my whole career in the... Um, working for software vendors in a variety of roles that I, I, I like to think has given me some, some somewhat unique and holistic perspective. So I started out working as a software engineer uh, for a, a pretty large company, but you know, we were a vendor and um, writing code. And I really enjoyed that for about seven or seven or eight years. And um, then after doing that, I decided I wanted to have a, a change. So I moved into a, a professional services technical consulting role for a, a vendor, a middleware vendor. And I did that for about three or four years. And that was great. I got to travel a fair amount. Uh, this was before kids. And um, got to spend a lot of time with a lot of different customers, helping them solve technical problems and also delivering a lot of training uh, training courses for our technical product. And then, uh, you know, we had a life change. My wife and I had our first child. And uh, 60 to 70% on the road wasn't going to be something that we wanted anymore. Um, so I was fortunate to be able to, I'd been with this company for three, four years at that point. And I was doing a good job. People liked me and it was a good fit. So I was able to transition in the same company from a technical consulting role into my first product management role for this new product that they were that they were creating. Um, and that was great because the travel immediately went down, but it was a known environment and I knew everyone there and how it worked. Um, so that was great. We had an engineering team um, in another city, which is pretty common uh, these days, of course. And that really, that's where I learned to do product management um, had some good mentors along the way. So I ended up doing product management for, um, how many years would that be? I think a good, uh, maybe 15 years, if I'm counting right. Um, not quite, uh, maybe about eight, about eight years. Uh, and then I got to the point where I was, I was a little tired of that only because I was still very much hands-on working with engineering. And I spent a lot of time writing functional specifications, um, and then I got the opportunity to move into a product marketing role. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'll never have to write a functional spec again. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I worked for uh, a really great guy who, who mentored me. I learned a lot from him. And through that pathway, it ended up being about five or six years where I 
was in product marketing. And then we went to a smaller company, I ended up being a VP of marketing. Then we got acquired and I focused again on product marketing. And then at the end of that pathway, I realized, hey, I really like the technical aspects of this more. And I moved back into a product management role um, when I joined essentially the company where I am now. Um, and I like that a lot. I actually had, when I joined this company, there was some turnover. I ended up taking over all of marketing for about six months while we looked for a new CMO. And, you know, and that was fine. I did a perfectly adequate job at that. Um, but that's not my, that's not my passion. Whereas the technology piece of it and really defining product strategy and working with our prospects and customers is. To wind that back, I, at the beginning, I talked about how I've had all these different roles across the vendors. And I feel like that's, Again, a little bit perhaps by accident, but it's it gives me a lot of perspective. And now, when you know, in a leadership role with this company, I can work very comfortably with people in marketing and people in the services team and people in engineering and, of course, people in sales um, as a unique a unique constant um, because I've kind of lived so many of these different roles. I like something you said there. So you enjoy the customer interaction. I think you said you missed that right and the technical piece and. And really shaping the product. And I think that's what it is for a lot of people. I mean, what are your, you know, what are your uh, foundational skills? What do you really enjoy? What are you passionate about? But I, I don't know that you realize that unless you you pivot every once in a while, right? I think that's what a lot of people are, you know, are uh, even these days, right? They're all thinking about what do I want to do next? So very similar to your story, right? I, I am right now a product marketer um, for a large network vendor. But I often think about that. Well, you know, I miss the customer interaction. For me, that's what I miss. I miss the customer interaction, getting in the front lines and and talking with them and understanding the problem. So what were the top two things that really, I guess, wouldn't say drove you uh, uh, into um, product management? But I mean, is that is that a fair assessment? The customer interaction, the technical side, and what made you return to product management? I think that there was definitely less customer interaction or when there was customer interaction and analyst interaction, it was definitely different because, you know, when your your title is marketing, people look at you and treat you differently, especially technical people when it then versus when it's not. And, it, you know, this isn't a good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And I definitely always been much more of a, a technical person and really you know, enjoy that. I do technical things as as hobbies and in my spare time. You know, I, I embrace my inner geekiness, so we just, we just all have to. So I think that was definitely part of it, to be able to have a different type of conversation with prospects and to really be able to embrace the technical side of things. And I think to drive the direction of the product as opposed to being more of a consumer of it. It's interesting. We usually will see this move from, you know, people that are SEs over into an account manager role and, you know, uh, but sometimes you see them go back. I know somebody who was a phenomenal engineer, was a phenomenal account manager, and uh, recently went back to being an SE. So I thought, well, that was interesting. But, you know, same thing. I think, you know, miss being technical. And, you know, I think everybody has to find where their passion is. And you're not going to find that unless you unless you make these moves. I mean, Lilac, you've done that. Dominic, you've done that. I think we're not going to find this unless we went out there and explored. That was it for me, at least, right? I mean, I've, I've done a little bit of everything. And, you know, I enjoyed everything along the way, but I picked up stuff along the way. And, and kind of found, you know, my niche. And, and now I'm not even sure that this is my niche. So this is, you know, it's not just uh, or Lilac or you, Dominic. I think everybody's going to, you know, pivot a little bit to figure out where. And technology evolves too, right? So I think we have to evolve with that and where our passion lies too. Yeah, and it was actually Lilac who many years ago told me something, which I've later discovered that she has a name. It's called skill stacking. It's very hard to be the best in the world at X. But if you're reasonably good at 
one, two, three, four different things, you quickly find that there's a very small intersection of all of those skills of people who can do those things and talk meaningfully to practitioners of those individual things. And so you can find your niche that way rather than by trying to beat out everyone else in the world who's trying to be good at X. And I think I've taken that to heart and followed along with that, tried all sorts of different things. I even did sales for a while. And it turned out not to be my thing, but now I understand salespeople a lot better and I have to talk to salespeople a lot. Uh, So that makes me much more effective in my day job. I think for me, something that I was recently talking to a close friend about, you know, their career move and the next step that they were going to make. And and I said, you know, I think I've recently come to this belief that um, there's a point in your career where you're saying, I'm going to become a very good product marketer, a very good product manager. And as such, I will have an opportunity of a thousand jobs in the greater Tulsa area, right? And therefore, I will be uniquely able to do certain things, right? And there's a broad market for that skill set. There's that notion of not becoming very, very specialized early in your career, but to actually position yourself for a very broad market where you can compete. And I actually feel like that's changed now. I'm in my 40s, right? And I'm making some choices and in a pandemic, but I feel like at some level it's shifted and changed to less about how can I have a broadly marketable skill to how can I be the niche person in a very specific thing that brings me joy and actually works for who I am and what I want to do. But with the understanding that at any given time, there's probably five jobs in this greater Tulsa area that I would probably want to do and where they would probably want me. And that's okay for me. Now, that's obviously privilege, right? It's privilege to be able to be that specific, but it actually changes your entire framing about how you're approaching your career because you're not looking to build a broad, widely applicable skill set. You're looking to be Um, very focused on what works for you. I wonder how much you talk about Tulsa, how much, especially in the last year, location has ceased to matter. And now there's not five jobs in Tulsa, but there's 50 jobs in the world. Yeah, there may be. I can't decide whether that's um, having worked remotely to headquarters for a very, very, very long time in my career. I now super value even in this remote world being close to the mothership. And I can't decide whether that's a thing or not. I, I'm still sort of noodling on that myself, particularly depending on where you are in the organization. I mean, my perspective is they're probably going to continue to be a value to to being close to the mothership, as you say. Uh, but I think we're also going to find it easier to make different choices. I mean, I was able to make the choice to be 100% remote 15 years ago, but that was a very out there choice at the time. You know, these days, of course, everyone's doing it, but mostly because they don't have the choice. And we'll see once everyone gets vaccinated and whatnot, whether there's a big swing back in the other direction. So uh, my last company where Zach and I worked, we had our PR agency. And we were a Bay Area company and we had the choice. Do we hire a Bay Area PR agency and we'll be customer 593 on their list and get not even the, the C team somewhere down the the V or W team, or we can hire, I don't even remember where they were from, somewhere out in the Midwest. We will be one of their very top clients and they will give us their best effort. And we were very, very happy with that choice. And again, at the time, kind of out there, but uh, I see that trend building that uh, you have a definite genuine choice and there will still be advantages to the big city agency and the big city location. 
but they might be offset by different types of advantages that different people, different companies might find valuable. So I think that actually brings up a question. I feel like there's a, a notion, I don't know if our listeners are all like super well-versed in the words of the marketing jobs and the product management jobs. Can we take a step back and just sort of, how would you define it? What is the primary role of a product manager? What is the primary role of a product marketer? And then maybe it makes sense to touch on some of these other disciplines like demand gen or field marketing or whatever. I'm not going to even pretend to define product manager. Jason, you're the expert. You got to go. That's a really good point. And I think each organization and even each person when they come into a role draws the boundaries of that line differently. And like today, I know, you know my, me and my team, we're doing things that maybe classically we've done by product marketing. And that's for a variety of reasons. One is I've already done it. So it's pretty, you know, it's a known task and we're, we're good at it. But also because we have a really small product marketing team right now, and they just need they need the cycles on it. You know, in general, I would say you know, the product management team is clearly responsible for product roadmap, setting the direction and strategy for the product. Often in conjunction with, say, a chief technology officer. It depends on the personalities in the company for sure. I mean, in smaller companies, you might have the CEO who's doing some of that. But clearly, product management is a, a, a mixture of strategic product direction and a lot of very tactical detail oriented things that have to happen to make sure engineering understands the priorities and the requirements and does the right things in the right order. And from the tactical perspective, again, it depends a lot on whether you have engineering program managers or you have technical product managers of who's responsible for writing up the stories and fitting the puzzle pieces together to understand, okay, you know, for this sprint, I've got these people with these skills, and I need to prioritize this kind of stuff. So that's another blurry line at the interface between product management and engineering. I do a lot of marketing activities just because it's what the organization asks, and I'm happy to do it. And I've got a a role in the industry, like where I'm co-chair of this working group with the Cloud Security Alliance. It gives me a little bit of independent thought leadership that we leverage. So I'm happy to do that. Those things, you know, I'll do webcasts and stuff like that. And some of those can and should be done by product marketing. That's another blurry line. I do spend a lot of time working with our salespeople and our prospects, and that's important. We're an enterprise company, so most of our business is driven by enterprise sales, which means it's a heavy lift. There's conversations with prospects and POCs that are complicated, RFIs and things like that. Uh, I try to avoid getting involved in the RFIs for obvious reasons. My team is also responsible for packaging and pricing, which is definitely something that's normally in product marketing, but I just picked that up because there was no one else to do it, and you you get stuck with it. And then I do blogging, of course. I don't do too much. My team doesn't do too many, too much writing on data sheets or things like that, but we'll review for technical correctness. Um, and then sales training and competitive intelligence is, I think we have a good balance between my team and product marketing. And again, a lot of that's on, this is a technical area. Uh, so it requires some technical background and just bandwidth from the, the product marketing folks. I think I've covered a lot of stuff. Anything you think I missed in terms of activities? I mean, I think it makes sense. I, I would actually then turn to, to Zach and say, Zach, so you're sitting in the product marketing chair. How would you define your piece of the story? Yeah, well, coming from a most recently a startup that was just acquired, I mean, it was, you know, positioning this product in the marketplace, generating awareness I mean, at the, uh, the root of all this, right? So, I mean, where does our product fit? And, and it's really difficult when you have a nascent technology. You really have to be very succinct in your messaging. So it's, not, it's you know, not as easy as it sounds. And I'll be honest, um, I think you touched on this earlier, someone touched on it earlier, that uh, you don't get the most respect sometimes in marketing in an organization. And that is uh, you know, doubled in a startup, a technical startup, right? They believe you need two people, people that make stuff and people that sell stuff. That's really what they think. And, you know, they don't they don't see the fit. But, 
you know, uh, for really a product uh, at a, I guess at a macro level, yeah, it's, you know, it's all about content, mapping that customer journey. I have to think through a lot, you know, hey, from people that are buying or, or looking for products, you know, how, that, how do we get that what we call top of funnel all the way down to bottom? And usually that bottom of funnel is engineers, but, you know, it's generating that awareness, right? Through press coverage, social channels, you know, thought leadership content you just brought up, industry, you know, presentations, you know, conferences, things that we did, Dominic, right? Back, uh, we worked pre- previously, right? So how can we continue to get that awareness and then generate some buzz around launches. I mean, there's a lot to it. There really is a lot to it. And I think it's a lot of upfront, uh, you know, planning and then just going to execute, but, uh, and it's fun, but it can be very, very uh, rewarding. You have those moments where it's like, oh, wow, we created some, some great content. It's being well-received or we were able to impact messaging in an industry, but you don't have, uh, go back to what I said earlier, you don't have the customer interaction. You're not really hands-on uh, and you start to lose that. And, I think it just depends on on you know uh, where you are and where you want to go. Although I would say for I would recommend for people that are early in their career, go ahead and pivot. It's okay. I, I think this whole thing of like this is not your your dad's Oldsmobile, right? You don't have to work someplace twenty five years to think that you're doing something right. And I think that's got to be erased from some some people. I mean, I think it's great for you know if you're young, you know, go ahead and and, and test the waters and a little bit of everything and pivot and, and see where your niche is, but. Yeah, I, I don't know if that uh, if I did a good job uh, summarizing that, but yeah, that's that's really our focus. You know, Zach, you, you mentioned something that I didn't mean for it to come across as denigrating for product marketing. It's it's a really important skill. And for example, one of the things that I'm good at is I'm good at explaining things in a really complicated way, and I'm not good at explaining them in a really simple way. And when you find a marketing person or a product marketing person who can do that, you know, that brings so much value to the company. And that's not a strength of mine. I recognize that. <laughs> no, I didn't take it that way at all. No, I think you bring okay. up a great point. No, I think you bring, no, not at all. I think you bring up a great point. And uh, I think everybody's experienced it. That's been in marketing. Uh, Dominic, I'm curious. And, and Lilac, I mean, what were your experiences in, in your marketing roles? So I've never done product management as such. I've been adjacent, but I've been on the marketing side a, a few different times. And yeah, I think I'd agree mostly with Zach's characterization. It's a storytelling job. And also, Jason, what you said, you have to explain something which could be extremely complicated in the fields we all operate in. But you have to zero in on a couple of key concepts that will resonate with your audience and articulate those in some way that preferably won't put them completely to sleep. The precise line between the marketing and the management it tends to be drawn in different ways at different companies. Uh, I will say that. So the different aspects of that handoff can be different. And it can also depend on the individual. Some companies will have a dedicated technical marketing division or within product marketing, there might be more technical individuals who take on tasks, which in other companies would be straightforward product management. So there is that boundary that flows kind of back and forth depending. But overall, I agree. So product managers generalizing wildly, but they tend to be detail-oriented people, planners, uh, they work on roadmaps, and product marketers, they tend to be the storytellers who go out and tell the world about what the product managers have done. And, you know, present company accepted, but product managers tend not to have much of a public profile, except possibly in rather niche ways. And it sounds like you're still flexing some of those marketing muscles there, Jason. I think so. And, you know, you touched on something interesting, which is, one of the things I like about this role, both on the product marketing and the product management side, is they're pretty unique roles inside the organization. Mm. You get to talk to a lot of other roles. That's one of the things I enjoy as well, yeah. What I mean by that is 
there's usually only one person who does this and you become this nexus and to some degree, a bottleneck, <laughs> you know, you've got five or 20 or 200 salespeople and they all, you know, more or less do the same thing, but you're only going to have one product marketing lead for a product or one product manager for that product. And that's what, to me, is one of the more interesting things as well, is you do have to, especially if you're you know, a naturally introverted person like I am, really work at establishing constant lines of communication across these different functional areas. And that's the only way to be successful versus if you just you know want to sit down and do emails or sit down and write, you, know, you can be good functionally, but you're never going to be great. I actually think one of the things that we cultivated when we were all working together, which is organizationally very different. Like it's sort of up to the CMO and how these things get structured. But um, when I see that it works very well, um, which isn't always, the product marketing person actually sort of becomes the spiritual leader for the product among all of marketing. And that's like literally how I frame it to people that were on my team and people that I work with in product marketing roles now, because you're often the only person in the marketing organization that can actually write a complete tweet about the benefit of the product, let alone an entire data sheet. And the result of that, though, is that there's like huge amounts of actually downstream need to understand the product and the market. You're not going to go put even so much as a Google ad out with the wrong platform or the wrong words, or it looks stupid. You've got seven words and it has to be right. But product marketers don't write Google AdWords, right? They might review them or they might educate the person who's writing them. And the same is also true for emails and email subject lines and half the website and half the contact me forms and, 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 right? Then when you think through an integrated campaign, that core message is coming from product marketing, but that has to flow downstream. And so some of the people that I've loved most in my life are PR leaders and comms leaders and demand gen leaders that I can work with hand in glove to make sure that that message actually hits the ground. Because otherwise, it's in a messaging framework on my PowerPoint, and it doesn't actually hit the ground, and I haven't actually tested it. But the only way that that actually works well is if the product marketer respect the other roles for the magic of Marketo and the other things that they're able to do, which is tremendous stuff that honestly is not my my soul's work. But they also, in turn, sort of respect the product marketer as being the person who truly understands the market and the product and the benefits and so forth. And if you can achieve that spiritual leadership, you've actually got a really good thing going. You've got good value to the general manager, whoever's running the business. You've got good value to the sales team and you've got good downstream impact. If that's broken, and it is often broken for reasons of power, frankly, for the allocation of power becomes uncomfortable and people don't like it. I mean, that's happened to me many, many times in my career. Then you find yourself in a more tricky situation and you can actually see the pieces start crumbling fairly quickly and the ad words get really, really stupid. <laughs> like very, very fast. The whole thing just crumbles. But that that was the part I loved best about product marketing when I was able to do it. Um, what I didn't like was that the choice to do it was often outside my hands where I was in an organization. I think part of what you said underscores the need to, as a product marketer, write down this core messaging framework or whatever document it is that then becomes the the constitution, if you will, for all these other functions to run off of that, because no one's going to have time to review every single tweet or every single piece of collateral that builds on top of this. That's right. That's right. And to have like very strong relationships, I think marketing is not a, a, a machine. Marketing is a set of individuals producing art together. And when you look at it that way, then there's, you know, every reason to be super tight with your content writer so that they don't have to file a JIRA ticket to ask you about a, a headline. But that happens, right? People try to automate it in that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, 
I guess from my perspective, having just recently stepped out of marketing and into an operational role in the BU, um, it has really completely changed my frame of what I'm looking for from a marketing team when I'm sitting here on the outside, um, because I think the focus in marketing is often not aligned with the focus of the business, whereas product management is much, much more directly aligned because it drives engineering, because it drives releases, because it's associated with sales requests and so forth. I think marketing has a a very big risk of being disconnected. And I think that's part of what makes it challenging to be in those roles. That's interesting that you say that. I would have said the, uh, not necessarily the opposite, but I would have characterized it differently. So in my experience, and again, you know, every organization draws these lines differently, et cetera, et cetera. But product management, broadly speaking, tends to align to engineering and to understand the engineering constraints on why something can't be done quite as quickly as sales would like. And marketing tends to take the the sales line. If uh, engineering says something's in alpha or they're thinking of doing it, sales are already thinking of selling it. Marketing's already drawing up the decks to help them do it. And that, that can sometimes be an uncomfortable conversation if those two get too far out of sync. So once again, it's very important to have very respectful conversations so that everyone understands what the reality is. And maybe we don't need quite such a gold-plated product to satisfy the customer needs, and then we can iterate, but we shouldn't oversell that and get ourselves into trouble in the market when we can't deliver on uh, what we promised. If the audience, we're recording the audio, but we can actually all see each other. There's some very knowing looks being exchanged (laughs) over webcams. (laughs) You know what I used to tell engineers and product managers, and I'm I'm sure you guys, I used to say like, you you guys have to tell me the truth because I'm in marketing. And so I'm going to add like a layer of frosting to that truth and see, and then the sales team, they're going to layer like a huge layer of frosting on top of that. And then by the end of it, the customer is going to think that they're buying like a kumquat and they're actually getting a banana. And so what we really need to do is be very clear. We need to nail this down now because, and especially in the in the before times, salespeople would do this thing that uh, was always incomprehensible to me, but they'd take the decks and they'd laminate them and they'd stick them in their briefcase and they'd go out in the field and they wouldn't change those decks for literally years. And so you had to make sure you got your message right because it couldn't be changed. Paper can't be, you know, you can't patch it. You can't upload a new version. And at least these days, it's a lot easier with uh, the likes of Google Slides. If I spot a typo in one of my decks, I can push it live right away. And anyone who's presenting from that deck on their Zoom starting one moment after I've hit publish, they will have the newest, latest, best version and there won't be that sort of confusion. But yes, absolutely. You have to know exactly what the truth, the baseline truth is, because otherwise it will get distorted in this game of telephone. Well, laminated uh, PowerPoint slides for business lunches. That's old school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I th- I was, I've seen, you know, nowadays, certainly the opposite end of the spectrum, which is you see a salesperson present a deck and you're just mortified because you're like, where do these slides come from? This doesn't make any sense. Who created this? Yeah, some sort of Frankenstein deck and it's three different color schemes and seven font faces for some reason. <laughs> and then they turn to Zach and say, Zach, why haven't you made me a deck just like this? It's so perfect. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I have to be the bad guy. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Slide seven makes no sense. <laughs> Reeling back a little bit, you know, I, we were all laughing because, you know, we certainly live the life of salespeople selling what's not in the truck or selling the roadmap or mischaracterizing. And this is really the hardest part of certainly a product management is balancing out 
innovation versus customer or deal dependent features and how much do you how much do you do that and i've seen it done badly and i've seen it done well and you know it's hard work to stay on top of this and to keep the salespeople in line and you have to know the people you know who's going to be prone to selling the future or slap them around a little bit and sometimes not give them complete information because you know you've got some exciting new feature but don't really tell them it's coming yet because they're going to start to sell that and make a POC dependent on it. And then it just becomes you know, a world of pain. Or, you know, people will extrapolate. They'll say, you know, we've got platform A and obviously platform B and C are going to be coming next week, right? And then you have to explain to them, no, that's not going to happen for these very valid reasons. But yeah, it's a tight dance between how much openness can you have and expect people to actually understand what you're telling them and how much you just not leave scope for misunderstandings to occur. Yeah, and one of the things in product marketing is, at least I feel as though you're you're constantly trying to prove your value, right, to the salespeople. Zach was joking earlier about how um, you know you don't need uh, marketing; you just need engineering and sales. And the kind of the joke is that, well, if you've got a product that's simply sold as a service, you don't even need salespeople, right? All you need is a product and a website. And of course, that's not true, right? You look at every SaaS company and they all have enterprise salespeople. This is just how people buy the stuff at scale. And who do you think builds the website? It's marketing. No, gnomes <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this has been a fascinating conversation. And I think we're just about out of time. Any last words from you, Jason? I think that folks who are you know, in this career or considering this career, it's uh, I would certainly encourage you to... Um, to look at both both or either of these roles. There's so many differences between them that can vary across companies. So there's not necessarily a hard line and so much depends on the product, how technical it is versus isn't and the nature of the business that don't be afraid of jumping into a product management role, for example, if you're coming from the marketing side, because it may not be as technical in some cases as in others. Um, so I think that's that's a part of it. And what I really like the role, again, is the fact that because each of these folks is unique in terms of their skills and their scope, that by necessity, you're forced to interact with all these different facets of the business. And you really get to understand the business that you're in and businesses of this type in general. Um, so it's it's really a great way to get this holistic view. And I think it it helps people have a much richer type of conversation and set you up for further career growth in these more holistic or leadership roles. Yeah, I think that's the the key to it. If you want a nice, predictable, linear job where you know what you're going to be doing from day to day, yeah, no, probably not the right thing. <laughs> but if you like the idea of strategizing and storytelling and going out and relating to people uh, working on different parts of the puzzle, then this is a super fun and rewarding uh, type of job. So... Thank you so much, Jason, for sharing that with you. You can find more from Jason on Twitter and LinkedIn. He had the foresight to get the same username on both, at Jason Garbus, and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Jason's also recently published a book, uh, which we should have talked about. It's a fascinating topic in its own right. It's Zero Trust Security and Enterprise Guide. And again, we'll put the link in the show notes so you can go and check that out. But thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. One last note, you may have noticed in recent episodes, we've got some snazzy theme music. 
Uh, we've been iterating on that and we've just about nailed it. It's by my very good friend, Renato Podesta, and he's got some records out as well. So we'll put his website in the show notes. So you should check that out. But otherwise, you can always find us on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four or on our LinkedIn page. If you want to be a guest yourself or if you have any suggestions for future topics or guests in the show, by all means, drop us a line. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.